welcome to the Everything RVC podcast. I'm your host, Amanda Keeper, and I am here with a fantastic co-host. <laughs> yes, and I did. Faculty of the year. Faculty of the year, Molly Sides. Welcome. Thank you. Yes, I had to bring that level of excitement about something that huge. <laughs> So if you were watching us today, you would see Molly looking at me very strangely at that level of excitement. So I'm guessing she's really <laughs> humble about this award. But let's start there. How did you feel finding out, Molly, that you were the 2021 Faculty of the Year? Well, um, it, was, it was actually a, a big shock. Mm -hmm. I had no intention of, of getting my hopes up. And, and actually, I've been nominated... A number of times in the past, and, and you know how that goes. Sometimes mm -hmm. you go through the process, yep. sometimes you don't go through the process. Um, and I wasn't going to do it, and the night before it was due, my daughter was like, you have to. I Just do it, Mom. So I was like, fine, I will. And then, um, actually, it was sort of a funny story, and I don't want to take too much time with this, but the day that everybody came to my house in that very publisher's clearinghouse <laughs> yes, <laughs> way, um, my boyfriend had, had been sort of a, a huge piece in arranging all of that, mm -hmm. and he had told me, um, we'll work on his lies at a different point, um, not real lies, just lies about, you know, this, but sure, sure. Um, so he had told me he was going to stop by for lunch, and he didn't park in the driveway, so I walked outside barefoot, and I'm like, what are you doing? I'm like yelling at him from the porch, and then everybody gets out of their car, and I'm like, oh my gosh. So for the majority... Of that home invasion, I was outside barefoot. It was like, what, 55 degrees outside? Mm -hmm. So at one point, my daughter, my younger daughter, just quietly came back into the house and outside and just laid my shoes right down <laughs> next to me. <laughs> so, well, but, um, I love that story. I was just impressed when I saw the video that you had your hair and makeup done because if it were me and I didn't have to be anywhere in public, I probably would have been in my pajama pants and no makeup. So they probably, and actually, this is a great time to bring in our guest, Joe Haverly. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Joe Haverly, science professor at Rock Valley College, had a huge role in uh, orchestrating the publisher's clearinghouse role for your reveal. Yeah. Joe Haverly, of the many things that he does, he is chairing the Faculty of the Year Committee, mm -hmm. and he was probably in cahoots with your boyfriend yeah, and with many others, uh, so maybe that's why you're, you had your hair and makeup done. No, well, I... <laughs> We actually had just been to the mall to return a swimsuit. So oh, like, <laughs> okay. So you were out in public. <laughs> I was in public. But yeah, Joe is definitely the mastermind behind many things RVC. Yes, he is. Um, and, you know, you won Faculty of the Year just a couple of years ago. Mm -hmm. So I think that it's, it's a good thing to bring up the way that Joe has sort of changed that whole process. Because one of the things I love about that, um, about what Joe has, has sort of brought to the Faculty of the Year, is that we all get to... Um, we get to know what is said about us in that nomination process. And, um, and then, you know, he does it in a very, like, emotional way with the whole Sarah Burles song reference mm -hmm. and all of that. Mm -hmm. But, um, but I, I think what, what you bring to that is, is this whole idea of, like, that, that we matter. And we all know that the students matter and that, that we play a role in making sure that they understand that they matter. But also... Um, that what we does is not insignificant. And, and that's, I think, something that you should be applauded for is the, um, 
the level of grace that you have brought to that whole process and saying like one person may have won this year, but we are all so worthy because of what we do for others. So the first year that I saw all of those quotes and so this year there were 207 quotes and testimonies from our students. The first year I saw them, I thought, oh, we we can't just delete those because there's this whole confidentiality thing that used to be uh, a pretty high concern, understandably. Mm-hmm. Um, but I just thought, wow, we can't just throw those out. And all these all these teachers would be so so moved. Mm-hmm. And I, I hope they already know that they matter. But I just thought, I want to take that extra step to remind them that they matter. Uh, uh, because as you, hopefully you don't know this, but many of us have to deal with lots of difficult issues and lots of struggles and lots of complaints and lots mm-hmm. of... Uh, uh, behavioral things that go on through the semester and those come right to our door pretty quick we've got a good process for that but we don't actually have like we have a behavioral intervention process but right. we don't really have a you matter to me process and mm-hmm. I thought well we should right. balance that out we mm-hmm. should, right. should try and do all we can oh I really like that idea I mean that could be something that could be put into the college culture mm-hmm. right Exactly. Um, it's like when you're in elementary school and the teachers give you attaboys <laughs> right. right but it's, it's a similar concept it's, and and mm-hmm. I think, like, I, I know both of you as parents, mm-hmm. and um, and there is something really parental sometimes about the role that we take in the classroom. And so I think I see, with what you're saying, something that, that also speaks to you as a parent, Joe, mm-hmm. which is that when there's when you have something nice to say, say it. When you have some praise to give, give it. Yes. And when you're proud of someone, let them know. Mm-hmm. Um, that's so important. And I think we know that that's important. I think as a culture, we know that that's important when people are young. We don't think about it being as important when people become adults and, and they go out into their fields. And mm-hmm. and even in the college classroom, like we, we just have to remember that it's so important to to spread the positivity. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and when, to affirm people. When you have that opportunity. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, Joe, I can tell you, and, and thank you for shouting me out for that award as well. I, it meant a ton to me. And one of the reasons that meant so much to me is because you, Joe Haverly, won Faculty of the Year many years ago, and I put you on this elite status of faculty members, um, you know, in the camp of, like, the Michelle Roderts and, and, like, legends at Rock Valley College. And the reason I say this is because I teach public speaking, and I have students come in, and they have to give speeches on things that are part of their identity. And I have the luxury of hearing how people are impacted by your class when they come in and talk about environmentalism, and they talk about um, sustaining the earth and how they've been awakened in your class. Mm-hmm. So first of all, tell us about, since we're on that faculty of the year topic, tell us about what year you won faculty of the year, if you can remember, mm-hmm. and what it felt like for you. I believe it was 2015, maybe okay. 2015. Mm-hmm. Um, what it meant to me, I, like Molly, had been nominated many times. Uh, I was thrilled every time I was nominated, and of course, I have to be honest, I was a little let down. I didn't get it every year, but... Yep. I realized there are so many wonderful other instructors. Mm-hmm. And what it, what it meant to me was an, uh, a, a, what, what meant the most to me about it was that the students nominated me. And yes. I even in my last letter in the year uh, that I received the, the recognition, my letter didn't say, here's what I've done and here's uh, all the things that I do for the college. It really just said, I am so proud of the fact that I get nominated by my students every year because mm-hmm. I'm... We talk about so many issues in my class. We touch on ethics and we touch on attitudes and, and where we develop our attitudes. And 
and what our perception of the world is. And I know my class pushes a lot of my students' buttons in that way. Mm -hmm. um, and I have turned it into that class. We can talk about that later. I don't just stick to the science in that class. I urge them to think about why do you think the way you do? Why do we have the beliefs we do? Because I have to set that foundation before we talk about should we think differently about the environment, which leads into our attitudes about the environment and where they come from. And our students need to begin that process, if they haven't already, of thinking about why do I believe what I do and, and how, why do I say this is the way it is? No matter what the topic is, how do I know that, that that's the way it is? Mm -hmm. uh, and I always talk about Cornfield Joe in class. I, I um, talk a lot about, I use myself as an example, Cold Cornfield Joe grew up in Bone County, went to North Boone High School, mm -hmm. had, didn't even know Madison existed most of my life had never really been into Wisconsin, maybe Clinton, Wisconsin, had really lived within about 30 miles my whole life up until 18. So there's no way I could have said, I know this right. really about the world. Mm -hmm. I, I needed to get out there. And right. so I'm constantly urging my students to travel too. First of all, I think we need to have a t-shirt made for you that says Cornfield Joe. Cornfield Joe with two thumbs. Um, okay, that's his podcast. His podcast title is Corn, Cornfield Joe. <laughs> that's brilliant. But yeah. Um, yeah, Scott Fustin, if you're listening, get right on that. Um, but also, um, I, I think what's, you know, one of the important things about what you're saying is like, we forget, I think a lot of times earlier in our education that um, that critical thought is not specific to one field. That critical thought um, and and you know cross-sectionality in terms of, of thought processes too. Like the way that you learn to think in a biology class um, about like why do I think I know this and how do I best express it in a way that's going to get that across to people. That is is really important in what Amanda does mm -hmm. and in what I do. Mm -hmm. And um, and in terms of like you know that recognition that you're talking about and winning an award coming from your students, mm -hmm. that is absolutely the most meaningful thing. Right. Mm -hmm. Because what you teach is hard mm -hmm. and, and, and humbling. And when a student is able to sort of say, there were things I didn't know and now I do, thank you, mm -hmm. that is, that's why we do it, right? right? That's, that's really important. And, you know, and and in my experience, I teach English 101 and 103, and people don't look forward to those classes. And I know that that a lot of people don't look forward to to taking environmental science or biology or these other classes that, like, you're going to have to put in the time. Mm -hmm. You're going to have to put in the work. And and that means saying no to your friends when they want to hang out or, or saying no to that extra shift at work or you know, having your kids sit in front of a screen for longer than you'd like in order to get that work done. But when the benefit is that you grow as a human, it's so worth it, mm -hmm. right? And and that's what they're telling you is it was worth it. Right. Yeah. You made it worth it. Part, I, to go back to that uh, faculty of the year and what it meant to me, I fully recognize that I am not the person who will ever be our faculty association president. Oh, I am God, not that no, um, out there in on and, and sort of being one of those top 20 people, and there are certainly names that come into your mind that are the faculty who are really involved politically and mm -hmm. in what's going on. I'm not that person. And so standing in front of everybody that day, I was almost a little embarrassed mm -hmm. because I thought, I, I'm, I know I'm not here because I'm that faculty of the year. I'm so thrilled that that my students nominated me right. and that I, I know since I'm in the classroom with them how much 
I'm changing their lives in that way. So it, that's what it really meant and, to me. And that's the word that, that comes to mind when I think about you as a professor is because there's levels of motivation, right? Motivational change, inoculation, planting the seed, thinking about something different. But when you get to the level of behavioral change because of something that you learned, that is transformational. Mm -hmm. And what I'm seeing when my students talk about your content in my class is that their behavior has changed. Their um, buying patterns have changed. Their reading patterns have changed. My stepson took your class, Gabe Keeper, mm -hmm. and he was very resistant. And uh, you brought Ishmael to his life, mm -hmm. uh, one of the books that you have your students read. Will you talk to the listeners about why that book is important and why you chose it for your class? That book... Um I don't want to give, I want to sort of pique people's sure. interest as they yep. listen to this. So I'm, gonna, I'm not going to do what I tell my students not to do. I'm not really going to describe it mm -hmm. because I tell my students, when you start reading it, don't, don't summarize it in one statement because it will make people go, oh, I don't want to read that. <laughs> because I didn't read it for about 10 years because people will say, well, it's in general, it's about this and this and this. And the way they summarized it made me not want to read that book. Mm -hmm. But what I will say, it is, when I ask the students, what was the goal of me assigning this book? Do you think there are five lessons in this book you're supposed to learn? And right away, students get it and they shake their head no. This book urges you in a very personal way while I'm in, in at home reading a book on my own and I get to do it and you, you, Mr. Haverly, are not in front of me telling me rethink that. This book gets you to rethink what you believe. Mm -hmm. And nothing specific. I, I make sure that they realize, did this book ever tell you like what you think is wrong? No, because it, it just doesn't tell you what you think is wrong because you all think something different. It just very subtly asks you, why do we believe what we believe in? And, and where did that come from? Mm -hmm. And could it change? And could it change drastically? And do we want it to change? Which is perhaps the most important thing about the book it is we know, we think we, we all think we know how the world is, but this book just gets you to question, well, why? How do we know it? And are we sure we're okay with it? Yeah, I, I love that assignment. And Molly, I'm sure you can think about your own teaching style. When teachers do things that are unexpected, those things become memorable. Mm -hmm. So I think when that you come in, is unexpected. right, when you come into a science class and all of a sudden you're reading Ishmael and you're thinking about how you're thinking, you're like that metacognition, mm -hmm. that's totally unexpected. Mm -hmm. And they remember that. Yeah. And, and what do you think about that? I think that's a great way to reach students who aren't science students mm -hmm. too, right? Mm -hmm. And just in terms of summary, just a side note, there's a difference between a student answering what happens in the book and what it's about. And I talk a lot about those differences. Mm. Like that summary is what happens, what happens, it happens. It's the what and the what and the what. But, but really what you're talking about is why and how. And those are the tougher questions. And I'll, um, I'll give you something later. But, mm -hmm. <laughs> um, and also, by the way, I, I still have the copy of Ishmael you loaned me <laughs> a long time <laughs> well, ago. I've loaned a lot of copies of that book out. Yeah. But yeah, I think, that, um, I think that that has a lot to do with, with you know, with, um, teaching methodology you go into a science class expecting ex expecting a certain kind of presentation and expect expecting a certain kind of platform and and um and lecture mm -hmm. and when and when they give you a piece of literature it does two things it opens access to you 
mm-hmm. right, in terms of, of students who maybe were resistant to the class. Um, and you guys know how it is that a lot of times you have people who feel like they are stronger in math and science, and then you have people who you think are, who they feel are stronger in, like, um, the arts and social sciences. Sure. And, and that's a, a pretty common, I think, way of students assessing themselves. But when the science teacher gives literature, that's a book. You know, it's, it's mm-hmm. not a lecture. It's mm-hmm. not a TED Talk. It's not this hard, factual, lab research kind of thing. That's a way in mm-hmm. for, um, for not just for people to be successful in the class and to connect more with you, but to feel more a part of that community and learn from one another. Mm-hmm. Because, mm-hmm. because you're having students who, who are from one side of the park talking to the others about the ideas that, that, like, you know, they come together. And I really feel like that's real education is when you can get the people from multiple different backgrounds and on all kinds of different strengths coming together to sort of say, yeah, we're going to, like, address these things together. We're going to learn together. We're going to grow together. Yeah, we're going to deconstruct this together, which was maybe one meaning to you, and now we have multiple meanings. Mm-hmm. Creating multiple meanings is critical thinking, right? Absolutely. So let's go deeper. I want to go back into your history. Why RVC? How long have you been here? What has this college meant to you over the years? Uh, you know, How did you end up on this college campus? I have been here 20 years now. Uh, I, I grew up in a cornfield around here, um, went out to Washington State for my graduate work. So that was my first exposure to the West Coast, which, of course, is uh, was a punch in the in the face, uh, you know, that <laughs> right, Joe, for, the, for the ethics and the ideals and the environmentalism to be so vastly different. Uh, and when I finished graduate school, I loved being a TA it, um, when I was a bachelor. I was a teacher's assistant as a bachelor. I loved I was um, also a TA as graduate school. I loved teaching. Uh, and had never really thought about becoming a teacher, but when I fi- finished graduate school, I applied on the West Coast because I wanted to stay there, mm-hmm. or back here because I, I also there was a part of me that wanted to come home. And I got fate brought me back home, and um, fate brought me to Central Illinois, Decatur, Illinois, and I taught there for ten years, and got my uh, great experience teaching down there. And then a position up here opened up even closer to home. I wanted to be an uncle. That was very important to me to be involved in my nieces and nephews' lives as much as I could. Mm-hmm. And I, I got the position here and was thrilled to come here and teach mostly environmental biology because that is that, that became my passion over time. I always like to ask people when they bring up graduate school, what did you write your papers on? What was, at that time in your life, You know, what was the topic? My research was on the feeding behavior of the Northern Pacific rattlesnakes. <laughs> I, I got See, a, isn't that awesome? I got a degree in zoology, <laughs> and uh, my I did research. Uh, I spent two years feeding mice to to Ugh. rattlesnakes, and watching their response. Okay, so what turned you on to that? Uh, when I was an undergrad, I had an amazing professor who assured that as a scientist, you got your feet wet in in the sciences, and he took us to national. Um, conferences. He had us do little research projects that we could publish and and present at those. And so he got my feet wet and he happened to be a herpetologist. His specialty was salamanders. So he took me out um, to Washington to get some experience doing research. And the researcher out there was working with rattlesnakes. I was terrified. I, (laughs) I, I don't really care for snakes at all. And I was I worked in a room that was filled with the most venomous snakes in the world, boom slangs and rattlesnakes and vipers and it was terrifying, 
but it was interesting science to me, definitely. Kind but I have no desire to work with. <laughs> I had no desire to continue working with snakes. Molly just said I'm kind of speechless, and you just <laughs> took my words. So yeah, I, 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 wow. See, that's why I love this podcast. That is fascinating. Did you have any idea? Um, no, and I'm really uncomfortable. <laughs> but I will say, so there were two things that you said, Joe, that I, I do think I, I want to respond to, um, and they coincide in, in my head. You know, your your interest in working with animals. Um, I know, I know. We were talking recently about your feral chickens mm-hmm. on your farm. So, um, so Joe has mm-hmm. this farm, and and you said something also about you know how how you wanted to come back to be an uncle, and I think it's really interesting, um, you know, because I've seen you with your own kids, and I've seen you with my kids, and we came out to, to like dig up potatoes or visit the chickens mm-hmm. once, and it was like I came, we got like free farm camp for a mm-hmm. day <laughs> to go to Joe's house and, and we learn about the way the world works. Um, and, and I wonder how much a part of, how much of that is just a part of, of your daily goal is just to educate people about what they can do locally. Cause a lot of times we talk about environmentalism, we're talking about like these huge things. Um, but you do homesteading, right? right? And right. you, um, and you are, you know, you're raising the chickens, you're planting the potatoes, you've got all other kinds of crops and right. stuff going on. Um, how did you come to that, and and how much a part of your life is that? When I was a child, I had a Alzheimer's dementia grandfather who loved, who still loved to garden, and he was um, very sly. And he, I'm using my fingers right now. He had me help him <laughs> in the garden, which meant he sat on a five-gallon pail, turned over, and smoked his unfiltered camels and told me, now put the radishes there and, and dig the dig the potatoes deeper when you put them in. And so I loved that. I loved the attention. Uh, I loved working in the garden. I loved outdoors. And I think that ju- it is in me. I love to garden. I love to the garden to the extent that it, it's exhausting. And mm-hmm. uh, my wife and uh, Lisa Ledeen and her, her husband are also homesteading out by us. And we're constantly talking about this is so much work. And in many ways, it's so expensive. Um, So you have to, again, think about why am I doing this? What is my prime motivator, which it very well um, relates to my class? Why do I do the things I do? What's my prime motivator? Mm -hmm. Is it convenience? Is it money? Uh, And so I just love that homesteading. I love uh, just yesterday we got new chicks because I can't help myself every spring getting more chicks. And I was laying, laying in the grass at eye level, just sitting there sort of watching them do their thing and, and uh, just thinking to myself, I love this. It's so bizarre that I just want to lay in front of the chickens and watch the chickens. But I, I just really need a photo op of that. I, if you could get me a photo of that, that would be really special. Yeah. yeah. Do the yeah. boys get attached to the animals at all? Gabe desperately wants one of our chickens because we free range our chickens. They don't necessarily need us or want us. But if we fed them more regularly, then they know we equal food and they are very interested in being our friends. Right. And Gabe wants desperately to, um, to bond with a chicken. So these new chicks we have, I've told them, let's play with them. Let's feed them ourselves, not free range them. And, and we'll keep them contained and we'll feed them. And they will come to know us better. And then when they're adults, we can let them out and they will be attached to us. That sounds lovely to me too also. But yeah. I'm mostly doing it for Gabe, or at least say I'm doing it for Gabe. Molly said earlier that there's so many big topics in environmentalism. Mm -hmm. What are some of the big topics right now that that people need to become more aware of? 
I'd say to tie back in with Ishmael and just the purpose of me and what I do, the topics aren't important. It's my class has almost more so become, can I get them to open up their mind and think about why are things the way they are and why do I do the things I do? What is my, what are my top priorities? What motivates me? And I can't change everybody's mind. And I tell my students as much as I'd love to, I'd love for you to all become environmentalists and want to do and prioritize what I think you should prioritize, but that's not the goal of the class. Mm -hmm. It's just to get them to think about why do I think do do the things I do? Why are we living the way we're living? Why did, for example, I love that recently that the LGBTQ com- community has had their day uh, to a very large extent. I, I can now use that example as remember back in the day how things were and now how they are today. That's a paradigm shift mm-hmm. that they have experienced and they have seen. And what I'm trying to do, essentially what I'm trying to do in my class is get them to imagine a paradigm shift where we prioritize and respect and dare I even say love, because I use the word love all the time in class, Mm -hmm. maybe we'll even love the environment. Um, And that's hard for them when they come into class, and I hope it's easier at the end of class. And then, of course, we talk about global warming and air pollution and and all kinds of things. Uh, If you want an answer to that, I guess air pollution, um, I'm sorry, global warming is probably still a, a pretty top priority. It's becoming more and more dire. I remember in 1991, when I first taught and heard the phrase global warming, I thought, hmm, wonder what that is. And now 30 years later, we're still struggling with that same topic that back in the 90s, I used to present to my students and I would literally get roll eye, uh, eye rolls because mm-hmm. they thought, oh, whatever. You know, yeah, this is the next environmental thing. And little by little, the degrees of certainty have been building and, and the science has been more and more established. And I think they're much more amenable to that message when they come into my class now. So I almost think that the topics aren't important in my class. It's us talking about attitudes and getting them to, to take whatever we're talking about and, and put it inside them and think, he's not going to convince, I'm not going to become a Prius driving vegan and <laughs> no insults to any Prius driving vegans out there. Mm-hmm. But I know that if my students come into my class thinking, oh, he's going to tell me I have to give up meat or I have to drive a Prius, Many of them don't want that, so I can't sell that in my class. All I can sell is the idea of why do you do the things you do? Why do we make the choices we do? What motivates you? What is important to you? And if I do it softly enough and Mm. pleasingly enough and with a subtle enough finesse, I think way more of my students uh, leave my class thinking, that changed me somehow. Then if I were the Bobby Knight of environmentalist <gasps> teachers, which I tell yes. them I want to be, I would love to go like, get your act together, you guys. You, we, are, we are destroying the world in so many different ways and we must do this. Do you want a list of 10 things? Yeah, here are the things you have to do. I would love to do that, but that's not my role as a teacher. My role is, is to, um, it actually has evolved quite a bit. Um, I remember maybe the first 10 years I taught, I taught science, that's all I taught. I, and I think I did a fairly good job. Um, I went into the classroom and I, I taught them the science. Then I realized in environmental biology class, I need them to think about what can I do? Because they don't, it's pointless to just use or to learn the information. I want them to use the information. So I began weaving in the what can I do? WCID. I would put that on the board. What can I do? And I would ask them to all think about what they could do. And of course, they, their minds, human nature, uh, I could walk. 
walk to work. I'm mm-hmm. like, well, how far away is work? 40 miles. Can you really walk to work? <laughs> right. and, I don't, and I don't want to walk to work. Okay, well then don't walk to work. What can you do? And then I started having to put in a little, what can I realistically and likely do? Mm-hmm. Okay. So about 10 years into my teaching, I realized I can't just teach the science. I need to ask them, what can I do? Get them to think about what can I do? But a five years into that, I thought, well, they aren't going to do anything unless they know why they should do something. So I began the why should I care, W-I-W-S-I-C, put that on the board. Why should I care? Why should I give a crap about anything you're talking about, Haverly? Mm-hmm. And I would try and teach the, uh, just to throw out some groups, I, I would try and um, get my LGP, LGBTQ students to think about why does this matter to them? Why, why does this matter to Republicans? Why does this matter to Democrats? Is this a class mostly for men? And I would get my, everybody to realize, if you're a, a male, here's why it should cl- matter to you. If you're a female, this is why it should matter to you. This is one of the reasons it could matter to you. And then get them to think, okay, yeah, I'm not doing this to save the earth, but if, if this can also save money, or if this can make the world a better place, or if I'm a more compassionate person, then maybe I would do it for that reason. I don't want to do it to just to save the bunnies, Haverly, or save the trees. I don't mm-hmm. want to hug trees. So they now think about why should I care about what we're talking about, which hopefully, I'm crossing my fingers, translates into what can I do? And I hope they leave my class doing something different, anything different, differently. It's so crystal clear why he won faculty of the year when he speaks. Isn't it, though? <laughs> and, you know, and I was thinking two things. I was thinking, first of all, like, so motivational and I want to take your class I'm not going to do well in it but um but I would take your class and I I, what I love about what you're saying is that you're teaching the individual and you're teaching the individual to think outside of 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 themselves Mm -hmm. you know and 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 that's still what teaching is even at the college level is like how do I teach you to be a member of the community Mm -hmm. how do I teach you not just to be so selfish Mm -hmm. and that's not an insult to anybody you know, in the way that we approach it, that's very natural. We, mm-hmm. you know, we are selfish people by nature in many, many ways. But, um, but how, how can, you know, y- your, how can the way that you behave change things for you, mm-hmm. right? Like you have to speak to that, to that part of them that listens, right? right? Mm-hmm. But also the way that you speak, Joe, um, I can, like, I'm going to bring up your past here. Mm-hmm. Um, so Joe's a singer. Mm-hmm. Do you know this mm-hmm. about Joe? And and you talk, and it's I can hear the music. Mm. So I can hear that. Like I, I love can that. hear that the cadence. Like, yeah, that mm-hmm. there's just like something about the way that you speak that people can listen to because it's not off-putting, it's not intrusive, it's um, it's easy, mm-hmm. yeah. and delivery. You know, Amanda, you're a speech teacher. Mm-hmm. Delivery is everything. When you want people to respond to you, when you want people to listen to you, you have to approach them in a way that they can receive it. And and especially with a topic like environmentalism, where you still have people who are saying, I don't believe in this. I don't, you know, it's not it's not real, fake news, whatever. Um, they have to be willing to listen first. So yeah. you have to give them something they can listen to. I picked yeah. up on that right away. Um, John Gottman from Interpersonal Theory talks about uh, a soft startup. 
And you basically just described what he teaches all the time, that when you're in conflict with someone, a lot of times people will come at you with contempt and defensiveness. Mm -hmm. And so what's the antidote to that is a soft startup. Mm -hmm. Even that even means speaking softly and speaking with um, multiple interpretations instead of an either or or polarization. So as you were speaking, for me personally, and I'm trying to, I guess I'm being a student right now, as you're talking and I'm listening to what's important for me environmentally, what, what's on my mind lately is consumerism versus minimalism. Mm-hmm. And I've noticed that there's a lot of shows popping up on minimalism right mm-hmm. now. Is that a part of your personal behavior? Um, do you also try to adopt those behaviors in your home life? Our... Younger students, as you can imagine, I, I, I just saw a statistic the other day that is our, our average student is a 21-year-old single mom. Like, that's the most average, typical student that we have. But I, I just always refer to my students as most of you are, are 18. Let's just assume. And then I get the adults in class who kind of, like, smile a little. Oh, that's a compliment because I'm nowhere near 18. Um, it is important that one of the first things I talk about is black and white thinking. And that either or. Mm-hmm. So right, one, I think on the first day, I put what I call the Haverly scale on the board, this line with 0 to 100 or 0 to 10, and, and try and remind them that if you come into this class black or white thinking, this is, you probably assume I'm going to want to turn you into an eco-terrorist who is yeah. hell-bent <laughs> on saving the world. Right. And I don't want that. There are different degrees. Mm-hmm. And when I ask you, what can I do? there are different degrees of that and if your brain automatically goes to give up meat then you don't you've already shut me off on day one if you are a truck driving um gun owner farmer in class i want you to realize from day one i'm not going to tell you to get rid of your truck you farming is not the devil uh, that there are different degrees Mm -hmm. so if you're going to continue on in farming, is there a way we can farm that is more sustainable? And, and so the key phrase, if I push anything in class, it's sustainability. Yeah. Sustainability with your, of your emotions, sustainability of your social interactions, sustainability of our environment, sustainability with your money. There are lots of different sustainabilities. And I tell my students, I know I'm supposed to stick to just environmental sustainability, but we're not going to in this class because it's, it's such a great platform and it all melds together. And you talk about a soft start. I laughed when you said beginning with a soft start because the first thing I do on the first day is I tell my students I hope to love them by the end of the semester. Mm, talk about a soft start. And that is not a soft start. It was One of my coworkers got these giant eyes and they're like, Joe, that's too much on the first day. <laughs> I, I talk about what I, what I want out of the class and he's like, well, you can... At the end, like that seems what you're talking about there seems like an end of the of the semester discussion. And I'm like, no, on on the first day, I, I ask them to look each at each other mm-hmm. and go, um, "Hi, my name is," and, and say your name and say, uh, "I hope to get to know you by the end of the semester." And they look at each other. Some already don't want to look at the person sitting next to them, True. which is where we're going with this, right? Mm-hmm. And so I, they, they kind of, oh, "Hi, my name is Joe. I hope to get to know you by the end of the semester." And I tell them, "I hope." Look at them again and tell them, hi, your name is, and I want you to maybe shake hands. I want you to make physical contact and say, I hope to get to know you on a fairly deep level by the end of the semester if I'm going to spend an entire semester sitting next to you. And it makes even more people uncomfortable. And then I ask, is anybody willing to look at that person and tell them, I hope to get to love you by the end of the semester? And of course... That, com- that just gets guffaws and gets people who cross their arm. And now I've made some people very uncomfortable. But then we talk, you don't have to do this. Um, but what if 
the, it was an automatic given that by the end of the semester you would get them to, to know them well enough that you would love them. What if that was the norm? And they, they're still uncomfortable about the idea. We talk about how are, are people uncomfortable with that idea? Yes. When did we decide that the norm is to come and sit in a classroom and maybe not even say hi to the person sitting? Why did we choose that norm? Can you wrap your mind around the idea that maybe we'd all love each other? Mm -hmm. Because if you can't, then this class might not be for you because I am going to ask you to reassess all of the things that you consider to be normal because the goal is for us to reach a point that we haven't as a culture yet where we highly prioritize our environment. And if you can't wrap your mind around that, if that seems like a silly or maybe even stupid dream, then this probably isn't the class for you. And I probably help Biology 103 out quite a bit because I'll go there. You know, there is a mostly science class you can take called Bio 103, and it will be a great gen ed biology, biology for you. This class is going to urge you to rethink what do we consider to be norms. And I hope yeah. seriously, and you'll know what I mean by the end of the semester, that I know you well enough that if I were to tell you that I love you, it, it wouldn't weird you out and feel uncomfortable. You would go, I know what he means by that. There's nothing creepy about that at all. That This guy has you know, revealed himself in so many ways throughout the semester. I get what he's talking about. Talk about a paradigm shift. Yeah. That's a huge exercise in a paradigm shift on right. day one. Right. Yeah. Can you imagine, Molly, you're walking down the hall. Yeah, I dropped Haverly's class. He wanted us to love each other. <laughs> this guy's a joke. <laughs> I, would, I would actually love for somebody to do that and have the other person go, oh, what a wonderful idea. Like, wow. Mm-hmm. Oh. Yeah. At first thought, that sounds ludicrous, but what a wonderful idea. Mm-hmm. And for them to go, oh, maybe that, maybe, maybe that wouldn't be so terrible. And then I go, okay, I've got you. You know, there, we've got, now we can work together this yeah, semester. For sure, yeah. And I like that you're playing with that term, too, because I do think that, like, that people just learn to shut down to mm-hmm. a lot of things, right? And when somebody says the L word, you know, that, that four-letter L word, that's really scary right. to a lot of people. When I was an undergrad, I took a class called Understandings of Love. And it was one of my, oh, it was awesome. That was cool. Um, it was one of my favorite classes I ever took. It was by this, like, this tiny little, like, Lutheran pastor. Mm-hmm. He, was, he was the teacher, and he was amazing. And, and so we talked about, like, you know, that not every love is romantic love. Like, you, and it's, and it's or friend love. Like, there's love in, in every... Um, kind of relationship. That's why it's hard to leave jobs sometimes, mm-hmm. or um, why you cry when your pet passes away, mm-hmm. or why um, why it's so emotional for some people when their team loses. Right? Like there there are different kinds of love, and I think that I don't think you're alone in loving your students, right? No, and and wanting not. them to build those relationships right. because I, I do think that the relationships that you make in college, that many of them are sort of laced with this intellectual compatibility. And, and you, you know, you develop these interests or these um, these tendencies or um, these focuses that connect you to people forever, right? You, you, can, you can come back to those people even when you've gone off on your own path. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's because you trust them and trust is very much a part of love or you, you're compatible with them because... Um, of similarities in the way that you that you see the world, mm-hmm. but I think that um, you know I, I started out at a community college, and I don't know how you started out in your education, but those relationships that you build with your students, and, and I'm talking about the relationships that that you're talking about, Joe, those specific relationships where you know, like I want you to trust one another, but I'm going to open up myself to you so that you can trust me too. 
those are so key in creating scholars, creating citizens, Mm -hmm. and just creating stronger human beings in the community. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's fascinating hearing you talk about that. When I was in grad school for an MSED in clinical mental health counseling, I was very solution focused in my approach to the client relationship. And I felt that if I couldn't help them solve their problems, that I wasn't worth my weight. Mm -hmm. And by the end of my practicum, and you know, your professors are watching you and you're with your client and you have other people in the program watching you as well. Mm -hmm. Um, By the end of the program, my final paper was titled moving from the mind to the heart. And I realized that I really wasn't solution focused at all that I was practic- practicing solution focused, but I was really much more ex- existential. Mm-hmm. And I wanted people to find like their light, their reason, their why, their, their, their processing. I wanted them to accept themselves more radically instead of change themselves. Mm-hmm. So it was a total paradigm shift and that just triggered that for me. And so as we're talking about these ways of seeing the world, it's so obvious to me how how you see the world, Molly, and how you see the world and how we have developed our critical thinking skills comes right into the classroom. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. So, Joe, um, <clears throat> one of the things I'll never forget is I love to travel. And I noticed on your social media that you uh, have this annual trip that you would take. And you would go to Mexico, or mm-hmm. you would get there as often as you can. Mm-hmm. Will you tell us about that? Why, why Mexico? Where do you go? And why is that so special? And I think you would go by yourself a lot. I would often go by myself, okay. yes. Yeah. Um, I have no idea. It's like when we get those <laughs> students today mm-hmm. who love Billie Holiday, and you go, oh, your parents must listen. No, they don't listen to <laughs> Billie Holiday. I go like, where in the world do you have you even heard of Billy Holly? You know, mm-hmm. I'm so intrigued by why we love what we love and where it comes from. Mm-hmm. I have no idea because Cornfield Joe mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. ended up in Isla Mujeres. Yeah, right? yeah. And um, I I took Spanish class. Adored my high school teacher at North Boone. Mm-hmm. Um, was it Mrs. Fall? It was Miss Fall. Yes. So a little Jane factoid. Fall. A little factoid. Oh. Joe Haverly and I both went to North Boone High School. So we're both from the cornfield. Mm-hmm. I yes. just, but I grew up in the trailer park, and you were out in the the cornfield where a lot of my friends were, and I loved going to your houses out there and seeing how you lived life. But, yeah, I, yeah. I, I, I took Spanish, and um, you know, just as a, a class to yeah. take, Jane and then Fong. later in life, people would go, "Oh, I took Spanish too," but I don't remember anything, and I would think, "I remember everything about Spanish." Spanish just works for me. It's mm-hmm. like anatomy. When people go, "How in the world can you know?" all of the anatomical structures that you do. Mm -hmm. It just works for me. Martin Cork would be mortified to know how difficult it is for me to memorize dates. I am (laughs) terrible Mm -hmm. with dates. If history teachers still have people memorize dates, maybe they don't do that anymore. But it just, the food, the culture, and my goodness, breaking barriers. Mm -hmm. Everything we hear about Mexican and Latino culture in this area that my students think that they know you go there, and I still talk with adults my age who I say, "Oh, please, let's let's plan a trip to Mexico, and I will take you all around." And they, there's a little hesitation. Well, you know, the, all these reasons why we should. Oh no, mm-hmm. no, let me take you there. The people are so giving and and so delightful and so loving. Mm-hmm. I mean, loving is mm-hmm. a word I would use for. But I, I must say that I travel to the interior, mostly the Yucatan, and. Um, and uh, I travel on, totally on the cheap. I stay at the cheapest 
place I possibly can. Hopefully a mom and pops where I'm giving somebody my $20 a night versus Hilton hotels, Mm -hmm. you know, $150 a night. Uh, I eat on the streets. I eat in the open markets. I talk with the people. I just love it. I yeah. love Mexico. I do too. I'm, adore I it. adore it too. It's it's. I've traveled a lot, and in fact, the first time I went out of the country was Miss Fall had the Spanish trip. Mm-hmm. So I went to Spain uh, senior year yeah. only because we didn't have money. You know that only because Grandpa sold two thousand candy bars at Bingo yeah. and funded the trip. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. They said he, nobody had ever sold that many candy bars in the history. He was a womanizer, and he sold them to all his girlfriends at Bingo. Well, God love Grandpa. <laughs> Bless his heart. I think... <laughs> exactly. That's, that's a weird story. I also think the, the musician in me loves the sound mm. of... Uh, I love to hear myself. Interestingly enough, I wanted to learn French also. When I listen to others speak French, I think that's a beautiful language, and I would like to go to France someday, and I'd like to speak the language. Mm-hmm. So I sat in a couple French classes here, and hearing the words come out of my mouth, I thought, I felt like they sounded terrible. Mm. And I didn't like the sound of the language coming out of my mouth. And when I go to Mexico, um, I, I, one of the things I love about Mexico is, A, I'm good at it. I, mm-hmm. I can speak the language. And I, I, I often get compliments while I'm there. But I have one particular story to tell you. I was in an open market. I was talking with a little old lady about uh, some fruit because I eat every tropical fruit I can find. I'm so intrigued by tropical fruit. Mm -hmm. And I was asking her if I could try a piece of it. And as soon as I asked her in Spanish if I could try a piece of that, I realized, oh, I said that incorrectly. And she looked at me and she said, your Spanish is so lovely. And I realized I'm speaking in in like educated. And so instead of going, hey, I want a piece of that. I, I said, you know, good day, ma'am. Could I possibly acquire a portion of the fruit <laughs> that you are that you are selling? And mm-hmm. and I'm sure that what she meant was, it's so proper and and, and mm-hmm. educated sounding. Mm-hmm. But um, I knew I had made a mistake in the translation. So and I just love it. I love it. Yeah, me too. Your eyes lit up like a Christmas tree when you started talking <laughs> about that area of the world. So let's get to some more personal things mm-hmm. before we um, leave to get today. I know you have a family, and family is very important to you. Mm-hmm. Tell us about your, your life at home. I lived for 41 years single, mm-hmm. uh, traveling the world, footloose and fancy free. And then I walked into North Point Fitness Club one time and met Amy at the front desk and asked her where I was going for an interview. I was a fitness instructor. And as I walked away, I thought, wow, there's something about her. And the story goes that she said, who is that guy? There's something about him. And she already had four kids, so I inherited four kids. And then we had two more of our own, so we've got a total of six on our little farm out in Boone County, Mm -hmm. trying to live as minimal as we can without being crazy. All my students know that I urge them constantly, don't be crazy. Sure. You can take a wonderful ethic too far. You can take religion too far. You can take any ethic too far. You can take environmentalism too far to the point where you seem crazy to the world and nobody's going to want to emulate that. So we, 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 I can't say we are totally minimalists or anything Mm -hmm. like that, or that we don't still buy stuff. We buy plenty of stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, But we're doing our best out there. Um, And it's interesting, you you guys have kids, and so you know how hard it is if you're a parent and you're trying to get them to do chores. Um, Our kids have been tortured, and again, I'll 
I'll say tortured, because I feel like when I talk with them and ask them to work in the garden, it's torture. When I ask them to go collect eggs or, or clean out a, a stall, it's torture. Um, but then we'll go to student uh, teacher days, and the teachers will go, oh, the kids talk so fondly about how you raise your own food and how closely that you are in tie with nature and, and how much you garden. Mm-hmm. And I, I say, they speak of that <laughs> in a positive way because all I ever get is like what do we have to this is Mm -hmm. terrible Mm -hmm. Um, that's typical though it is typical I get the same thing at teacher conferences like you know you're doing a great job raising your kids and I'm like last night they were literally ripping each other's hair (laughs) 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 yeah Yeah. now you also make your own wine is that correct I do make my own wine I love homemade wine again it's I don't expect all of my students to want a homestead Mm -hmm. Uh, if they do I'm here for you but and Mm -hmm. I, I I, I don't expect everybody to want to do the things I, I do, but there's something in me that wants to grow a garden, a big garden. Mm-hmm. I was just at Wayne Feeds and got my potatoes and a bunch of my uh, cruciform, 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 cabbages and, and Brussels sprouts. I think it's cruciforms. Um, and onions and seeds. I'm super excited about that. Um, yeah. Uh, I do make my own wine. I have Concord grape wine. I, uh, we have currants, that, and I have watermelon up there right now that's cooking. Mm-hmm. And it's just something I want to do. Some of it's terrible. Watermelon wine? Watermelon wine. I want a bottle. Yeah. <laughs> so no, far I didn't, the wa- she, didn't, she didn't say glass. <laughs> no. She said she wanted a bottle. Uh-huh. Well, I'm going to have you taste it first because the, I have not figured out how to get a watermelon wine that you that when you taste it, you go, oh. That's really good. Yeah, I, I, it does sound intriguing. Yeah, I've never absolutely. had watermelon wine until last year, and well, we picked some up at a farmer's market in like Dixon mm-hmm. or something because you know I have family in that area, um, and the, yeah, it's great. Mm-hmm. And now it's like my favorite kind of wine, so I'm not kidding, mm-hmm. Joe. Yeah, <laughs> put anytime. Your, put your order in. Will, and well, also, yeah. are you a... planting your brassicas already? Yeah. All right. I okay. will. All right. Our last frost date is May 10th, okay. and so I know I'm very early, but um, I'll be able to cover them up if, if we get any hard okay. frosts. Yeah, because I... Brassicas, there's... Yeah, did you ever I see was, the Wallace and Gromit? I was subtly correcting you. <laughs> <laughs> Brassicas. <laughs> David and I always talk, talk about this uh, after the COVID party, and mm-hmm. I, there are so many skills and talents for in, among the faculty that from the podcast, the cooking, you know, Martin Quirk, he cures his own meats and yeah. makes cheese he, he and like smokes the cheese smoke. it looks like an outhouse by the way like the, the yeah i mean I, I just feel like there, there's a awesome party in store there isn't is. that interesting <laughs> about everybody that like we would we would find somebody yeah. who you'd never right. know mm-hmm. would want to do something weird right yeah and it's fascinating but like it's not i'm sorry i said i called it weird it's but okay. um it's unique right yeah but yeah. like i've We've worked together. This is my 19th year here. You were both, you were both here before me. And, but we were, we've all been here essentially mm-hmm. two decades, right? right. That's approximately where, and I had no idea yeah. about I, some same, of this stuff. Like, I, I didn't know about your Mexico trips and mm-hmm. like, you know, we've hung out, we've done karaoke, we've, mm-hmm. I've been to your house, I've played with your kids, um, yeah, that's why I, that's truly why I love the podcast. Right. Every time we get to have a guest on, you just learn all right. these really cool things. Mm-hmm. We work with such amazing people. We it's, do. It's really the best part of my week every week. So we have this fun part in the podcast at the end where there's a bag of questions. Mm-hmm. You pull out two randomly, and you read them and answer them. Okay. There's one. 
what job would you be terrible at? <laughs> oh, I already know. Okay. I already know. I, for some reason, the idea of it sounded uh, appropriate and, and fun and like I would be good at it. I am the worst uh, waiter. Really? You, I cannot have, imagine that. Yes, you have to multitask. And I would walk by tables and they would go, could I have another fork? And I'd, I'd say, sure. And then I'd walk by the table later and they'd go like, a fork? And I'd be like, oh, yes, Joe, remember a fork. And table three needs coffee and you need to pick this up. It is too much going on and I cannot multitask. I know about myself. It was back in the day when Chi-Chi's, remember? You I was just here. Oh, I love their fried ice cream. Um, I was terrible <laughs> at, at being a waiter. That's random. Terrible. That's so I already hilarious. know I would be terrible. At, and I, like I said, I think I'd be a terrible history teacher. Because like, I'd be, oh, it was approximately 1920. <laughs> right. Or 1950. Yeah, right. or yeah, somewhere in there. It was a long time ago. It was really <laughs> important. I actually maybe be a great history teacher because I would be just, well, it was back in the day. Anytime I ask you a date, just go back, back in the in day. Back in the day. The answer yeah. is just a go. Right. <laughs> oh. What is it, Joe? Oh, I almost... <laughs> what do you want to be remembered for? Aww. Um... I'll hug you after this. I want to be remembered for. Wow. Hmm. I am getting a little teary thinking like, oh, what would I want to be remembered for? Um, That for my heart, not for the science. I, I don't, I tell my students, I don't care. It doesn't matter to me if you're a C or D student. We, uh, I was actually trying to think, I, we were almost interviewed today, a former student, and I tried to think, do you remember if she, is she going to say like, oh, I did terrible in your class, or I did great in your class? I don't remember. It doesn't matter to me how my students do in my class. Um, I see in their eyes and in our interactions, oh, they get this class. They get me. I've handled this well. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, they understand how earnestly I want for them not to, to do any one thing in their life differently to save the world but that they're thinking about what should I be doing to save the world and what, what can I do to be more sustainable or what could I do to be a better parent or, or a better person, a more loving person. Uh, he, he cracked this, why do we think the way we do? And I'm applying it to lifestyles I see on TV and stereotypes that I experience in my world and, and the environment also. I would hope that I'd be remembered for uh, my heart and what I put in, into the class. And that's sort of hard to explain, but that's what I loved about Faculty of the Year is I thought, oh, somebody gets me. Because I have to acknowledge, and you guys might also know, there, there are people who do not enjoy that uh, experience in my classroom, that I push too many buttons, and, and they love their grandfather and who they are was molded by their grandfather. But what I'm talking about in class is perhaps the polar opposite of their lovely, wonderful, well-intentioned grandfather. And I push their buttons for that reason because I, I seem to be causing dissonance. Mm-hmm. Um, and we, we all we touch on religion in class. And religion is something that you you hold so strongly and so dearly. And I'm urging my students to question everything and for Anybody who grew up in the church I did, who is my student now, the church I grew up in, rule number one was you didn't question anything. I grew up in a very 
very uh, strongly devout home religiously and you didn't question certain things mm -hmm. and if I would have taken me I, I tell my students if I would have taken me at 18 I would have probably not liked me <laughs> I, would have, mm -hmm. I wouldn't have liked my hard. own class it would have been very hard right but growth is hard growth right? is and, hard. and that's yeah. you know um my dad would say things like you know they if it was easy they wouldn't call it work mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and I think that the same thing applies to to any kind of growth it was if it was easy and then you wouldn't grow I want you to know I'm going to remember that today but there's some stuff going on at home and I'm going to remember that, and it's going to be well used. Mm -hmm. So thank you, Molly, for that. Thank mm -hmm. my dad. I will thank. Aw, much, much props to him. Yeah. Mm. Good energy out to him. Final question is the campfire question. Mm -hmm. You get a contract, and you get to have one of those shows on Netflix. What is the content of your show? I'd love to, I'm not going to say homesteading and cheese making, including candle making <laughs> and rag rug making and gardening. I'm not going to say that. And chickens. And chickens. Um, the baby chickens. Feral chickens. Feral chickens. <laughs> I'm going to say happiness and love and gratitude. It, it, I know it's quite vogue right now, um, but I'm enjoying every bit of it's vogue right now and all the podcasts I'm listening to. And we, uh, to reveal a little bit about myself, I, I love, love everything that we're talking about, but I need work on even those, those ideas of gratitude and thankfulness and happiness and where does it come from? Mm -hmm. uh, because I, I often use myself in class that I myself am sort of a captive of our upbringing. Mm -hmm. and, and why I think the way I do is to such a large extent based on our experiences. And we've all been through some stuff. Mm -hmm. I tell my students that all the time. Mm -hmm. uh, we've all been through some stuff, and we could all use my, some counseling. So, Amanda, I'm constantly contacting you because uh, I tell all my students, we've all been through some stuff, and we could all probably use some help with counseling. And I, it has become so apparent to me that my students need to hear these messages about where, what, cause, what is happiness and how do we get there and what is joy and, and how, the importance of gratitude. So I would probably do something like that. Okay, so I'm going to dig a little deeper. Where mm -hmm. would your first episode take place? Mexico. Okay. Mm -hmm. Okay, so yeah. we'd, we'd start out in Mexico. It would be travel and oh. food-oriented. Mm -hmm. Let I, me know if you need help. I, <laughs> I urge my students all the time to mm -hmm. travel and eat the food because mm -hmm. I think it's such a great place to start if you have a little bit of, let's say, a negative bias towards um, some culture. If you go there and you eat, if you cook it, especially if you help cook it, mm -hmm. and I, that's, what my, that's what my show would be. We would find some probably grandmother mm -hmm. who would allow us into our house and we would have her teach us to make a traditional meal and, and the students would see the, the unity going on and we'd talk about culture and we'd talk about beliefs and, and, and it, would be, it would end with food. It would involve cooking and there'd be all kinds of like homey togetherness that sounds like wonderful to me anthony bourdain meets queer eye <laughs> there you go yeah, like that's yeah. awesome yeah. and it, what i love about his answer is i i told him he could have any show and his students are still with him okay. <laughs> yeah. that that was very yeah. revealing that to is me. that it was is very sure. revealing to me that i took a group of students to ecuador once to the jungles of ecuador and my goodness some stories that came out of that but we mm -hmm. were in the jungle mm -hmm. we were i took them into the jungle 
and what they learned from just going, which is, is still so powerful to me. I wish the college would allow us to travel more because out of their comfort zone, total minimalism. Mm -hmm. we, we were right. in the jungle mm -hmm. and, and they saw poverty, but they yeah. also saw a lot of happiness sure. and contentment. And I think for them, they were like, how can these people be so poor? Mm -hmm. the per they're all living in what we would call a shack, like rough shack, but they have smiles on their faces and they seem so content and they were so willing to share any food or anything with us. And I didn't, I didn't have to go like, now listen, folks, do you see that poverty is, or, right. or happiness is, I didn't have to do any talking. I just sort of stood back and let them watch these little kids who were mm -hmm. talking about you know. Yeah, I have a short story to share yeah. with you. I'll have to. I, I'm not. I don't mean I have a story to tell. I mean I have a piece of literature mm -hmm. to give you. Okay. That actually speaks to that. Something that I've used in my English 101s before when we're talking about, um, when we're talking about like cultural differences and what we can learn about mm -hmm. things like, um, possession, mm -hmm. and how you know we live in a culture. You know, some of us we're very focused on what we don't have. I think mm -hmm. here in America a lot, and and we don't always have that context of recognizing, yeah, like what you don't have is crazy amazing for somebody else. Yes. Right? Yes. So. Absolutely. Well, Joe, I want to thank you for coming today. This thank has been a me. fantastic conversation. Um, if you want to take Joe's class, look him up. Are you teaching this summer? I am teaching this summer, sure. Okay. But you should take me live. You sh in all, everything this summer is online. Okay. You, so, should see, you should be in the classroom. Yeah. yeah. He's yeah, awesome. I agree. I agree. I wish we could create some sort of team teaching. I know we've talked about different options of that, but like mm -hmm. where we literally swap classrooms and I teach, mm -hmm. you know, Molly's class for a week or something and she teaches Molly. Yeah. I, I wish yeah. we could do that. That could be so amazing. Yes. Yeah. So amazing. Yes. So we're going to wrap this up today, and um, thank you again, Joe, for being here. Um, we are blessed to have you. Rock Valley is blessed to have you. To be in your presence is always a joy, so thank you so much. Thank you. Okay. All right, so Molly, what did you think? What um, Highlights for you. What were some highlights <laughs> of the podcast? I think this has been really fun. I was really nervous to come in because I've never done anything like this before, mm -hmm. and my 13-year-old also warned me that she's going to listen to it later. <laughs> So, um, you know, 13-year-olds will tell me all the things I did wrong. But, mm -hmm. um, but yeah, this was really fun. And um, it is always so nice to get to know the people that we work with, mm -hmm. um, the things that we just accept as part of our daily lives on a deeper level. And, um, Joe, you're just certainly an interesting person. And it's just nice to spend time with human beings, too, like in, in, yes. a, in a season of... Isolation. Isolation for <laughs> yeah. sure. So, yeah, yeah I agree. Super fun. Joe said at the end of the podcast that he would love to be in each other's classrooms. And the only thing I was thinking about was after the podcast, talking to you about how I really miss those figs, those focused interest I just, groups. I was thinking about this, like, yes. as you were talking. Yes. Yeah. And I was thinking, you know, how cool would it be to have. Uh, you know, Joe's science class, then they write about it in your class, and then they come speak about it in my class. Oh, like, that would be amazing. That would be just phenomenal. We need a fourth partner. Yes. I think that Rotor oh. has some philosophy. Some, I think that we've got mm -hmm. like a, mm -hmm. we've got a group that could, could make your schedule awesome. Yeah. Talk about an unforgettable experience, you know? Yeah. And I think that's what makes people like, you know, winning faculty of the year for you. And I read your, um, 
you know, I'm on the committee for faculty of the year, so I got to read what your students said about you. And one of the things that really impressed me, and I hope as we wrap up this podcast, I really want to invite you to be the guest on the podcast so we can have the whole hour dedicated to you, because I really want the listeners to learn about what you do in the community and how you teach um, poetry, I think, at the Arts Council. Is that right? I've worked with... um I've worked with students for a couple summers. They didn't do it last summer because, of obviously, yeah. um, um, as an artist for Rack Camp, or actually it's for Arts Place, so right. um, Rack Camp is for the younger kids, but it's an eight-week program working with students, and I worked with them on getting um, some poetry written, and then we put it in an anthology, and it was and it was published. They were phenomenal Yeah, you shared, you shared some of them with me yeah. a couple years ago, oh, and I was so moved and these are the types of stories I want more people to hear about at Rock Valley and Um, I think it speaks to the same thing though Amanda and it's hidden talent yeah you know like we all have these hidden talents we all have um, stuff about ourselves that either has not yet been extracted or that Mm -hmm. hasn't been shared with the community at large so Mm -hmm. um, we're doing the same thing yeah yeah in a way this has been so much fun um, to sit in a room with both of you today You being the co-host was awesome. I loved your follow-up questions. I hope you'll come back sometime and do this with me if I I ever. Yeah. Um, And again, thank you to Joe. Thank you to Molly Sides. This has been another episode of Everything RVC, and we hope you're all having a great week.